Best intro in the game, Combo Nation. What up, what up, what up, everyone? Welcome to episode 97 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Today's show, Ben Patrick, a.k.a. Knees Over Toes Guy, joins in to discuss how he increased his vertical from 19 to 42 inches and his unique yet groundbreaking training methods. You could follow Ben on Instagram at Knees Over Toes Guy. That's K-N-E-E-S-O-V-E-R-T-O-E-S-G-U-Y. You know you could follow me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. At the conclusion of this episode, I'll give you some details on how you could get started with ATG Online Coaching with Ben. So be on the lookout for that. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca on the track. Ben Patrick, ATG News Over Toes Guy. Welcome to Combo's Court, man. How you feeling? Hey, I'm, I'm doing good, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. Anytime, man. Anytime. All right. So take us through the process, man. I often hear you talk about on Instagram going from a 19-inch vertical to a 42-inch vertical. Can you kind of take me through the process of how that went down? Definitely, definitely. So I already didn't have the greatest genetics. Like my dad could never touch the rim. So didn't have great genetics. I thought I could outwork my genetics, but the truth is I worked so hard that I actually like screwed up my vertical even more. Cause I, from the time I was like nine, 10, 11, 12, I was doing so many different jump programs that basically my knees were killing me. So if my knees hadn't been killing me, I think I would have at least had like maybe a 24, 25 inch vertical naturally, but I was left with 19 inches. I don't think my muscles formed properly around my legs because my knees were already in so much pain starting around age 12. So that is how I had a 19 inch vertical. By my senior year in high school, I was having double knee surgery. I didn't play a game of AAU my last year. I didn't play a game my high school uh, senior season. So I got no recruitment, was on my ass, painting walls every day, trying to figure out how to get my knees healthy. And that, that kind of became my life mission. I took it as like, I just remember a, a specific day where I decided all right, that's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to figure out how to bulletproof my knees. So I wasn't thinking about improving my vertical. I just wanted to be able to play basketball without pain. I think you can relate, but the way I would try to explain to people, because a lot of people didn't understand, like, why would you keep playing basketball? Why would you keep trying if, you know, if you already failed? And to me, honestly, like if I went to prison or something, if they still had like a good basketball court and I could play like, it would at least free me for those moments. You know what I mean? Like right, I'd definitely. be able to get by. Like hooping just meant that much to me. You know? Right. No, I felt the same way. You know, I heard you on a podcast. You were talking about how from like four, it was just everything you thought about. And I was the same way from about yep. six. Yeah, I was I mean, from four to seven, I didn't buy a toy. I saved up a thousand dollars for a Michael Jordan rookie card, which somebody stole over the years. I don't even have it anymore. That would have been worth something, damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. 
so there I was, you know, out of high school, no college recruitment, trying to figure out how to get my knees healthy. And I basically tried so many things that when I eventually saw something that said to do the opposite of everything I'd been trying, everything I'd been trying was basically avoiding letting my knees over my toes in training because that puts more pressure on your knees. But then the problem is every time I go try to play basketball, which puts pressure on my knees, then my body's not ready for that pressure and it hurts. So, so I wasn't hurting myself in the weight room, but I was still hurting every time I tried to play on the court. And I thought I was going to have to have more knee surgeries because I already knew the indicators when I had them the first time. And now comparing now in my other knee, I was having those same indicators. So I was like, things were, things were not in a good place. So it was kind of right around when I hit rock bottom and I'm now like two years out of high school, which you played basketball, you know how hard it is to make it anywhere. If you're now two years out of high school, yeah, that's tough. right around that time, I read an article that said basically that the problem is that the reason for the knee epidemic is that people aren't letting their knees over their toes and they aren't going all the way down with their knee movements. And so I just started doing that every day and it actually hurt like hell. But after two straight weeks of it, I knew things were going to be different. I went to a court and now even though it was hurting in the weight room on the court, I wasn't in as much pain. And that's when I started trying to figure out like, okay, I found the secret here. Now I just need to make it so that I don't have to hurt in the weight room, but I can keep, you know, progressing myself in the weight room. So that kind of, that's kind of my big contribution is now I have a system where you can build your knees over toes strength, but you don't have to work through pain to do it. It's a patient process, but it works just like trying to get good at doing chin-ups or something like that. Well, I can help build up the muscles around your knees. And in doing so, unexpectedly, before I knew it, I'm six one, So with the 19-inch vertical, you can't even touch the rims. Well, before I knew it, I was like, grabbing the rim and then I started trying to dunk and eventually I could dunk and I actually marketed myself to a junior college played two years and signed a, a full ride scholarship with Boston University so here I am five years out of high school signed with Boston University but the NCAA denied my eligibility because you only get five years to play sports right so we tried to appeal it for D1 for D1 for D1 you're right right, exactly. right. we tried to appeal it because I had medical records to show that like, it's not like I had an unfair advantage. I, I couldn't play. And so the NCAA didn't care. And if you know anything about high level junior college basketball, I mean, every guy that I played with went D one. And yeah, so, I, play, I played Juco as well. I know, I know. Yeah, the deal. So, <laughs> so now my options were to go D two. I had a ton of D two scholarships or to play like NAIA, or I even went on a visit to a school in Canada, but to be honest, when my eligibility was denied, I kind of knew it happened for a reason. And I knew that the reason was for me to start training other people. And so I, I skipped, I, I still could have played a couple of years somewhere, not D1, but I, I turned it down, skipped it and uh, started my gym. But I knew that I knew that if I still wanted to ever do anything with basketball, I was going to have to keep going forward. So that's kind of been my mission ever since. And now I've steadily climbed. I was maybe around a 31-inch vertical when I finished college, and now I'm, I'm at 42 inches. Uh, and, and still, still climbing. Higher. Still climbing, right? Still climbing. I'm trying to jump higher tomorrow than I've ever jumped in my life. And then the next week, I'm trying to do the same, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to jump higher. So, look, I, 
I'm kind of wondering how you treat your clients in the off season in terms of balancing what you do with skill development and actually playing your sport. Cause I yep. think it's, I think it's an interesting thing where some players don't really realize what's the best balance for them. So how would you figure that out for them? I do it totally, totally weird compared to what probably any other skill coach in America does. I have my guys on the court two days a week and in the weight room three days a week and take the weekend off and that's it. That makes so sense though. I like that. Most people, yeah, most people do. Oh, you know, court work, weight room work, two a days, got to grind all this stuff. And like, the funny thing is those same guys, when they come to one workout with me, they cannot believe how hard a single workout is. So the problem with that is when they're daily wear and tear on their body, when I watch their skill reps, it's not at the level that I would try to use with my players to get them better. Meaning if your body's not actually recovered, if you're, if you're having any joint pain, that's in the way of you putting full force onto the court. And if you think about players, if you're lucky enough to get to the level where you even have an off season, that means you're a college or professional player. Right. So if you're, if you're lucky enough to even get to that level, man, you are way more talented than needing some coach to run you up and down the court. Oh, touch half court line, come shoot a three. Touch half court line, come do the same drill you've been doing since you were 13. It's not enough to get you better. It's not going to make like tangible results in your game. So I'd rather see a player master his film, figure out exactly what do I need? Why am I not making as much money as the next guy? What, is, what can he do that I can take a very small set of goals for the offseason, prioritize your body health? Because if you age is, is money in sports, if you can keep your athleticism, then you can keep getting better at your sport. Most but if definitely. you're losing your athleticism, man, it, it, and especially if you're having injuries, it's so hard to keep making more money as a professional athlete. So that's, you know, your, your body is money. And then if I can have a guy take a smaller amount of goals, so it's actually the toughest thing is getting guys not to overtrain in the off season, do their three days of body work, two days on the court, and then take the weekend off. That's my, that's my ideal scene for a basketball player in the off season. Right. That makes sense. Cause you know, to be better than everybody else, you have to do things a little bit differently than everybody else, I believe. And yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's doing the same thing. How are you going to separate? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I know you found a lot of things that didn't work for you early, but I would like to know like more recently something that you thought was working, but you kind of realized after putting the work in or the time that it really wasn't beneficial. When you're already jumping high, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I would say for that would be the best way I could answer that one would basically be, say you have an exercise that works to protect your body. I kind of thought that, that you could just do your exercises in the weight room and that would fully protect you on the court and that would fully give you the juice you need to get more athletic on the court. Um, so I used to operate off that, like, like that everything could be accomplished through the weight room. Um, but then my, I, I had a big realization over time that I had been missing a huge crucial link. And that's actually how you jump on the court. So for us as basketball players, when we actually go up to try to dunk, that's like the most force that we put into our body. And 
even if I'm rebalancing a guy's muscles properly in the weight room, that will not fully protect him if he is doing thousands more jumps over the course of a year off one leg than the other or jumping much, much higher off one leg than the other. It results in different jumps, different landings. So I used to think that I could just rebalance a guy in the weight room purely, but there's your tendons, the things that you know actually hold your muscles to the bones. And there's a lot more factors going on than just what you're doing in the weight room. So that was kind of a point I had to, uh, you know, kind of eat, eat shit on and realize I can't be God in the weight room and that the forces on your body on the court are actually extremely important. And it's been, what, a- it, what in some plyometric work help with that as well as along with on the court? It could, but for example, like you're, you're a lefty, aren't you? Yes, sir. Right. So most lefties will jump higher off their right leg and then right dunk with the left hand right but but it's not like your body was made to jump higher off one leg and then when you throw down with your left hand because your left arm is outstretched that means your left leg is a little bit higher so your right foot is lower to the floor so you're more likely to land through that right leg first right so so if you're always getting up like that it's really hard to just rebalance that with plyometrics fortunately it's pretty much as simple as making sure that you actually start doing more jumps off your left leg dunking with your right hand than you currently do with your left hand dunking off your right leg. And it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing to get started with because at first a lot of guys have pains and tightnesses that make it really hard to do. So it's, it takes a lot of patience and you have to start with just a few jumps a week and then just gradually build it up. But you can imagine that with plyometrics, it would be a little bit harder to simulate that full force. And even if you do something like, like skipping or bounding or some kind of unilateral plyometrics, you still kind of end up using both sides equally and an equal is not necessarily enough. Meaning because of what you're doing on the court, we somehow need to actually like do more reps on the weaker side. And, and you know, when you actually go to jump, it is so much force. So a lot of people don't realize like, like your box jumps and you're this and that, like that might be fun and all, but it's actually not as much like stress into your joints as actually dunking. And so, so I've simply found that the the simplest way is to actually make it your mission to dunk just as well off either leg. And, And same thing for a two foot guy would be jumping equally well with a right left or a left right plant with either hand. Right. Okay. So, I'm the, I'm the guy who always was stretching. They used to make fun of me how much I stretched when I was younger. And uh, as I got older, I started to realize, or I believed that the, the best benefit you could get with stretching was static stretching before. Uh, sorry, sorry. Dynamic stretching before, static yep. stretching after. I had Paul Favorites on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Wow, um, you, had, you had him on the show? Yeah, definitely, definitely. He's big yeah. time. Yeah, he's big time, and he really knows his stuff. A lot of studying. You, you know, right when you talk to him, you realize how much studying really went into all this, you know? Yep. So my conversation with him went like this when we started talking about stretching. He basically told me that dynamic stretching before is for sure beneficial, but static after, the only benefits that he believes you could get from that is placebo. What are your thoughts on that? I actually don't do either. Wow. Yeah, I'm flexible as you are. I see, I see the splits. You're definitely flexible. Right. <laughs> so the reason I'm so flexible is because I basically use strength movements that go through a stretch. 
So I find that if a guy just does like, if a guy just does stretching, his body's just going to tighten back up and he's going to stretch. It's going to tighten back up. He's going to stretch. It's going to tighten back up. But if he can get strong through that range of motion that he wants to be flexible in, his body's actually going to trust him a lot more to hold that position. So I basically find that like, if you're someone that when you stop stretching, if you notice that your flexibility goes away quickly, then you know you're, you actually need to get stronger through that range of motion. And it can vary from person to person. Some people can be stronger in other ones, weaker in other ones. So I've basically found that by far the most important thing for flexibility is to be strong through that range of motion. And so you can ask anybody that hoops with me. I know you're friends with Fomer Simpson. You can ask him. I never stretch before I play. I lace up my shoes, give me a ball, and my body's ready to go. So it, it's actually a different approach because I used to spend like half an hour foam rolling. And I mean, my, my warm-up used to be longer than what a workout should look like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I used to get made fun of it as well. I had stretching bands and this and that. And, 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 and so I just find it's interesting. Like if your viewers could watch this, Somehow I'll, I'll prove it for him sometime. Someone will have to catch me cold on the street or something. But like I can we'll do it. We'll plug your Instagram so they can see what you're doing real quick. Yeah, I mean, but I can do a splits cold. Like I don't have to like warm yeah, up yeah, and yeah. stretch for a week to do a splits. I can go down in a splits, and my body trusts me in that range of motion because my hip flexors are super strong in a stretch position, and my hamstrings are super strong in a stretch position. So uh, that's that's my take on it. I think that. I think that I, I agree with Paul J. Fabrizi. I actually don't know how to say his name, but I agree with him in the Paul sense. Paul Favorites. That, <laughs> what? Paul Favorites. There you go. Paul Favorites. I agree with him in the sense that, like, in the sense of the placebo side, I also disagree in other ways. In the sense of the placebo side, I agree in this sense. I believe that if a player plays best having a, a Dr. Pepper and a pizza the night before playing, then he should do that, even if science indicates otherwise, or even if yeah, someone Paul Paul would agree with you on that point for sure. Yeah, like your game routines, as you know, how many times have we had the best game of our life in conditions that we probably shouldn't have? We were jet lagged, or we were dehydrated, or my we best were games were when I got the least sleep, like some of the, my greatest games for sure. Yeah, and and maybe yeah. for another guy, it's when he, you know, gets a ton of sleep, or maybe for another guy, for me, I found I play better hungry. <laughs> So like, well, there's actually science to that, I think. That's good, but you know, like, yeah. there's also science that's like, oh, have carbs three hours before. Blah, right, blah, blah. right, 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 right. When I say I play hungry, I don't mean I play an empty stomach. I play, I'm literally hungry. I'm literally pissed off and hungry. Okay, but other guys, I know if they're hungry when they're playing, it's actually like a really big problem for them. So I would say the same thing when it comes to stretching, in the sense of like. If a guy has a dynamic warm-up routine that he likes that gets him locked in, then by all means, do it. You know what I mean? For me, my warm-up process that makes me feel locked in is actually a regimen of two-ball dribbling and then actually running through the actual move series that I want to use when I'm playing. Like that's I don't like to do anything outside of that. I don't like to do a single dynamic stretch or a single warm-up of any kind other than getting my handles really tight and then warming up the actual moves I'm about to use. It's actually a basketball player's waste a huge opportunity 
because if I you watch the warm-ups, they're doing a bunch of bad habits. They're actually training themselves to make poor decisions in games. They're training themselves to take garbage shots in games. All I'm doing in my warm-up, I'm sharpening my tools. I'm literally taking the exact moves that I want to use. Every layup line, I'm not trying to dunk. I'm taking the exact moves I want to use. And then the last thing I do as the last part of my warm-up is I approach and I work all four plants as if I'm going to dunk, but I shoot up and under. Because what that does, it gives me the confidence, like, okay, I'm up over the rim, but it gives me the touch and it gets my touch going to actually finish in the game. So for me, that's my warm-up process. It doesn't so you, you, hand, you handle the basketball to warm-up? I, like, I do two, two ball dribbling specifically in a movement pattern that warms up my all four motions of my knees. So I actually do like a, a simultaneous handled knee warm-up so that I'm ready for like cutting and, and going forwards, backwards, changing direction off either leg, even changing direction from the inside leg, pushing out. So, right. yeah, so I do a two ball warm-up that gets my, that like just, it just prepares me and gets me like, like fired up for like hard knee motion. I basically predicate my game because I've worked myself now that I know my knees are stronger than anyone I'm playing against. I actually predicate my game on starting the game, being able to make more violent motions with my knees. So like I'm the guy who's going to start a game and I'm already going to be like getting like a breakaway or making like a super aggressive drive or like getting super low and, and trying to rip someone on defense or something. So since I know my knees That's are interesting. Stronger, That's interesting. I kind of yeah. take the opposite. I kind of take the opposite approach. Yeah, I kind of feel. I, feel warm up. I know that's what I did my whole life. No, 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 no. Physically, no. You know what's crazy? I actually handle the basketball to warm up. Like anybody that yeah. hoops me knows, I'm the only guy in the corner just working on my handle like ten minutes before I hoop. Oh, what nice. I'm saying is, I definitely don't go super hustle mode when I start the game. No, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Though, <laughs> yeah. and like I used to think, like I used to use the start of the game to like let my body like wake up to the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. I take it more as a mental thing of what's going on, like reading the game, reading what's yeah. going on. And then, but again, when you're six one and you have as many freckles as I have, like at a certain <laughs> point you have too many freckles to start passive. Like it's too late. And so that like, to me, it's an opportunity and I know my knees are stronger and healthier than anybody that I'm going against. So if I know my knees are my greatest strength, then I want those puppies like ready to go using your advantages, using your advantages. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's my warm up process. And then I don't static stretch after I play, but again, on my actual training days, I'm working my range of motion like crazy. So I believe in range of motion. And I believe that if a guy cannot achieve good range of motion, that my exercises will help. But if he wants to spend extra time, I have found certain static stretches and I'm talking holding each stretch for like three to five minutes. Wow. Not anywhere near the time of playing. Like it would be done as its own thing to relax. You know, it could, it could be done after playing. It could be done in the evening, just relaxing, watching TV or something. But, but basically to get your body to loosen up some areas that you are going to go into through your strength movements, but that by doing a little extra stretching, it can help you get into those strength movements even deeper. So that's pretty much Strength movements, number one, extra static stretching as needed. Um, and also just based on like, if someone wants to put that extra time in and there's a couple areas that I found that are really tricky to get into with strength. And so for those areas, even I personally still do some nice long 
three to five minute holds on those areas because is that I like isometrics no no just like um for example like a like a muscle in your hip the piriformis right i don't feel super comfortable i don't have like a progressive loading piriformis strength exercise the way i do for like the hip flexors or the hamstrings and so i can't train that muscle or at least i don't currently purely with my strength movements like most of my stuff i don't even have to stretch because i already hit it with my strength movements but like that muscle i don't hit with my strength movements so that one i do keep in where i'll just chill out in a stretch for like three to five minutes i don't even set a timer i just chill there and, and do my dms that's actually i answer every dm and that's how I, I chill out sometimes i'll sit like 10 minutes in one stretch that's good time management oh yeah <laughs> for sure okay look you know so basically what you're saying is if you're flexible enough at a point, it's really not going to benefit you. But if you're in the negative, you have to get it to where. You if you're want. in the negative, it could really help. Yeah. To do some extra right. stretching. Right. And but once you, once you get to like a certain point where you're doing splits, it's like, if you get more flexible, it's really, it might not be so beneficial. Yeah. And that's simply because I find there to be a direct relationship with your strength and flexibility. Right. So if you try to imagine a human body, that has no flexibility, like it literally can't move. It wouldn't matter if it was like the strongest human body ever. It wouldn't be able to run or jump because it literally wouldn't be able to move. But on the other side, imagine if you're so flexible that like if you lie there, someone could just move your limbs in any direction. But if you have zero strength to even move your limbs, you can't run fast or jump high. Right. So those are the extremes and we never see someone in those extremes. Every athlete has some degree of strength and some degree of flexibility. The point is that if a guy is, is super flexible and keeps getting more flexible, but has no strength, you know, he's weak. It's the same as the guy who like keeps working on his shot. Like at a certain point, like we've never seen someone in the NBA shoot 90% from the three point line at a certain point, if that guy had more to his game, it would make him better. So uh, a guy can, can, can get flexible. And I don't believe there's some like, it's the same with strength. I don't believe there's some magical number that it's like, Oh, you don't need to be stronger than that. But there sure yeah. as hell heck, there sure as heck gets a point where it is you're strong as and it gets much tougher to get even more flexible than that or much tougher to get even stronger than that. And it's very rare to see a guy with both of those qualities. So I find, you know, with, with quality training, any athlete I've ever worked with has a lot more athleticism in the tank just from improving their strength through range of motion, because that way, whether they're tighter or stronger or whatever, well, we're building them hand in hand. And, and like you said, yeah, like it's going to hit a point where just trying to get more flexible is, is perhaps going to be less effective than right. making sure you've covered all your bases. Right. So basically you want to maintain that flexibility Maybe yep. get a little bit better, but then also focus on other things. And that's where you're really exactly. improvement. And I feel the same way with core work. Like, like there was this big wave with core work. But if yep. you're like, if you're doing abs for like an hour a day, every single day, like there could be another, there could be a better way to delegate your time in terms exactly. of athletic performance. Exactly. The, the guy who is trying to keep getting stronger abs. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But exactly. the odds that his lower back is just as strong, that is, that is calf, that is ankle. Right. That is like there's a lot, there's a lot there. And so, and like when you were talking about like flexibility, just like when you're talking about with like abs, some of these things take time. And so maybe a guy hits a certain point on flexibility, but 
maybe he needs a, another two years to really know how strong he could be. So maybe right. if he can maintain that range of motion and then get stronger for the next two years, that'll really move him closer than if he stays at the same pussy strength level and tries to eke out like another inch or two of flexibility. Every day you pull the sled backwards. On, yeah. on my knee ability program. My current program, I don't pull the sled backwards at all because okay. I'm, specific, I'm doing a very specific program and not everyone has access to a sled. So I basically, when I'm testing something out, I like to test things very isolated to see the exact result, knowing uh, that I'm not getting any special result from something else. So that's the same reason I stopped taking any joint supplements years ago. I refuse body treatment of any kind because I have to know that my health comes from my exercises. Right, all right. So, right. so now I'm trying to jump higher as a result of manipulating something I call the strength curve and other coaches have used this i'm not saying that's like my word but but strength curve so like but also you're losing that benefit that you've been getting from the from the backward sled so it might be hard to judge that new thing exactly so if i'm still doing backward sled every day maybe that would be keeping my knees healthy what yeah. i'm on a pursuit of right so i i've figured out how to get freakishly healthy it's like that's behind me like that's easy it's easy to get freakishly healthy right i have a 42 inch vertical and that's, that's good. I can get some clients with the 42. But coming from a 19, if I was to have like a 50 or something, no one would be able to deny that. I'd be able to say, PJF performance, come, you know, why, why doesn't your work this well? And I want to be able to say that. <laughs> right? Why did your vertical peak in 2013? If it works, it should work, right? And what I'm saying is that I live and bleed for my clients. And you know what? I'm 6'1", but I, I train some dudes who are five four and have bad genetics how the freak is that guy gonna dunk you see what i'm saying i'm living and bleeding right now for that guy how do i get to those world-class freakish levels of strength without compromising my health so that's exactly what i'm doing if you would have seen my deadlift workout today i can promise you that no one in the history of deadlifting has ever done a deadlift workout like my deadlift workout was today and what i mean by that is i'm manipulating these lifts in different ways so that I can actually achieve superhuman health at the same time that I'm trying to get that superhuman strength. And that's something that's, you know, no one's really been able to prove and, and do that, which is to, to like get to those upper limits while actually getting even healthier. And so that's why I'm not doing the backward sled every day because the backward sled every day is a foundational exercise to keep your knees healthy. So I don't want to I don't want to have my knees healthy in spite of what I'm doing with my strength training. I'm trying to actually see if I can manipulate strength training to make myself freakishly healthy while pursuing, you know, the upper limits of how high a, a human body can jump. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. All right. What do you feel are the best upper body lifts for, for explosiveness? Um, I would say that like some tips guys could use right now would be stop flat benching, start incline benching. Since okay. the flat bench mimics more like a push-up motion, most guys are so overtrained on just like a flat, like horizontal press. And, and just and just the anterior chain in general, which causes bad posture. Like we all everybody true. always everybody always wants to push all the time. That's for so, sure. Yeah. And and unfortunately the exercises I use for that, people will have to kind of scroll my page because you're not going to walk into a gym and see people doing like I did an exercise for my upper back today. I supersetted 
Today for my upper body work, I used an incline barbell press, but I used a special barbell that has a curve. So it forces me to go down six inches deeper than a normal barbell. Dope. So the bar is literally curved in the middle. So where you would normally, where normally the bar would hit your chest. No, no, no. You got to keep going down. It's like, you feel like you got a freaking chiropractor adjustment after that. Well, it's, I, that, it's what you're saying. Um, flexibility through strength. It's the same yep, thing. And I used a, yep. And I used a 45 degree angle. So most guys are so used to flat pressing that even when they incline bench, they only use a 30 degree angle and they lift their ass up and turn it into a flat bench. <laughs> I'm talking about keeping your butt down on a 45 degree angle. And I use this bar to go full depth. And then I put chains on the bar. So I can still go full depth, but every inch I go up, the bar gets heavier. And that's what I mean by strength curve. So if you only train in those deepest ranges, you're never going to use as much weight as you could if you did like a flat bench. So I'm able to simulate the same heavy weight that I could flat bench at the top and, and through the middle while still going full range, but hitting my upper pec, which has more carryover. That upper pec has much more carryover to your actual speed and jumping than the lower pec. And then I superset this with an exercise where basically I lie on my side on a bench and clothesline myself with holding a dumbbell in that outside hand. So I'm basically able to work my rear delt and my upper back muscles through like a full range of motion. So, so yeah, I would say most guys have some gains in the tank and they would actually see a little bit of vertical increase just by working their upper pecs. And if you don't have some setup, like what I talked about, still use 45 degrees and use dumbbells, but use a parallel grip so that the dumbbell doesn't stop by hitting your chest, that you can keep stretching down below your pec. Like a, like a neutral grip? Exactly. Yeah. By using a neutral grip, then you can stretch to full range. If you did that one week and then a regular bar the other week, and if you flip-flopped weeks, you would end up getting pretty much the same effect as I'm getting uh, by using like a, a special bar and chains. So switching to incline bench helps. Uh, most guys these days do address their chin up properly, but just know if you're not like a badass at chin ups, you need to be because the motion of driving your elbow down when it comes to first step explosion, that's, that's the most important part of your upper body's contribution to that first step explosion. So if a guy gets a really good incline bench and really strong on chin ups, and then he's doing, you know, I, I said, it's a little bit more unorthodox to show some of these like upper back exercises but essentially if your shoulders are flexible and strong then i think you're maximizing what you can for explosiveness out of your upper body but upper body is only about 15 percent of your speed in jumping so even if you master that you, you could still be a horrible athlete right what's your diet like these days my diet i have six scrambled eggs with butter in the morning and then during the day i live on protein bars and shakes that i have at the gym here I use Orgain shakes that we get from Costco. So they're like maybe 20 protein, six carbs. And I like something called an Atlas bar. It's a grass-fed whey protein bar, no junk in it, no artificial sweeteners, really good product. And then in the evening at home with my wife, uh, either she'll cook or I'll grill or something. And I'll usually have a lot of meat and a lot of vegetables. And I have a, a big old kale salad. Like I eat like a whole head of kale at night with olive oil and balsamic vinegar. Dope. And that's, that's pretty much my diet right now based on just based on my lifestyle I'm like a breakfast and dinner guy like kind of like a breakfast like early breakfast and late dinner guy and then during the day I just live on stuff that doesn't require me to stop what I'm doing to eat right you're on the move for sure for sure all right yeah. I asked Paul the same question I'm going to ask you what do you feel the athletic prime is in terms of age I would say on average 32 years old um 
it kind of depends on what athletic quality you're talking about. Right. Uh, strength could be a lot older, like just pure strength. Exactly. Yeah. So just in terms of a balance, I would say that 32 would be the average, but I'm giving a, a real world average. Not like if I trained an athlete from, from puberty or something. So I'm accounting for the fact that they probably did some training, probably overtrained when they were younger, probably have imbalances that are going to take time to correct out. So I would, I would estimate to get the adequate strength behind what it'll take, you know, to move your body as fast as possible as jump as high as possible. I would say 32 years old. Interesting. How old are you? I am 36. Oh, you're <laughs> I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm holding on to that. It's a, you know, people, people, actually, 32 you know, is the prime, I think 42, you could be within 5% of what you were at 32. It's very much how you treat it. And we have my, my, uh, essentially my lead trainer at ATG. I have a few teammates here and we all work together and he's 42 years old and he's never been more shredded. That's for sure. So in terms of body composition, it's his best body composition of his life. And in terms of his jumping, he jumped pretty good. Like when he was in college, it deteriorated in his thirties. I started working with him when he was 38. Now he's 42 and he's jumping a lot higher than he was when he was 38 because he's back dunking. And it used to be like, we would like hope that like a dunk would go in, like, like after hooping when everyone's like dunking. Right. No, but now he's like, booming it with like a couple extra inches over the rim, even compared to what he had maybe a year ago. And he's 42 years old. So, you know, he, he's probably within five, 10% of anything he could do when he was younger. And he's definitely head and shoulders above what he was doing in his thirties, but he's very, you know, you, you can't have any wasted motions. Like your, your, your training has to be money in the bank. It has to be things that are making your body healthier. And that's exactly why I wanted to team up with him because just how I was telling you, like with my current program that I'm not doing some of the foundational rehab things. Cause I want to make, I want to get the product from what I'm doing. Well, I can't prove what it's like to be 40 years old. I don't know what that feels like. So it actually is, it's pretty crucial for us that he really vets out everything we're doing and can give us that biofeedback on what it's like to be older. Cause it'll indicate quick to him if he's, if it's not something that's going to help in the long run, you know? Yeah, I think as you get older, I guess I, I'm assuming I'm a little bit older than you. I think as you get – it's funny because when I was playing overseas, I thought I wouldn't continue with all this training when I was done playing. You know, yeah. and I love it so much. It's kind of like a part of what I do. That's awesome. So, so I definitely uh, keep it up. But one thing as you do get older, I think you could keep a lot of your results. It would be difficult if you were playing like in a real basketball season. Yep. Because you wouldn't be able to rest when you want to rest and all that stuff. But and yeah, I would argue that the only reason it would be tougher in a basketball season – would be because coaches overtrain their players outside of the games. A hundred percent. Way too much conditioning. Way my too my much. life is honestly, my life's purpose is basically to be training athletes at a high enough level that they can actually speak out against how, how coaches are using improper methods and running their players to death and not taking care of their bodies. That's, that's pretty much what my life is, is dedicated to. Yeah, at the college level, it's, it's horrible. Horrible. To be honestly, to be honest, like, what's the point of doing a hundred suicides? Like, you're just killing people. The the cool thing is, there's ways to get that mental toughness without doing something that's physically harmful. And that's like our gym. We have these sleds in here, 
and like Derek's 42 and does more sleds than anyone else. So he, he is mentally tougher than anyone else. He's willing to suffer more than anyone else. He's more, he's in better shape than anyone else, but what he's doing is not breaking down his body. It's actually healing it. So, you know, I, I basically need to get to a point where every college abolishes the suicide run and has guys doing sleds, which actually are much worse suffering, but make your body healthier. Right. Maybe one day you could work with colleges and make that happen. That'd be pretty cool. Exactly. If I was training, you know, if I was training LeBron, then someone like LeBron could speak out and actually change the whole scene. So you see, like, that's essentially, essentially, I'm just trying to continue getting better and, and getting to the highest level I can as a trainer so that I can, I can have enough influence with people who can really actually change things from the ground up, you know? I would even, I, I hope I get enough money that I can actually just like, just go into places and actually like deck out their place, you know, if a coach is willing to do it my way. Right. Well, LeBron, if you're listening, go down to Clearwater, work with ATG, man. You hey, know, people I see- are noticing. I saw LeBron was doing a workout, pulling a, a golf cart backwards. People are oh, noticing. There's, oh, there's definitely. A lot of people are oh, noticing. No, I've seen. There's other workouts with the stuff that you're doing that's implemented into it. It's yeah, and then fully. I'm seeing stuff like I'm seeing guys like all of a sudden like talking more about knees over toes, talking. You'll notice like PJF all of a sudden he's doing like his guys are doing like backward sled. Have you noticed that? I don't know if you noticed that. I haven't, just, but uh, I have noticed other programs with some of your stuff in it for sure. Yeah, so it's. And so, I'm not just saying that. I really have been yeah. seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, I, I think it's only a matter of time because. It's just going to make the game better. It's going to make it more pleasurable for kids to grow up and not have to go through pain and surgeries. And, and that's like, that's what fuels me. It's like, it, it really was, it was rough. I was depressed. I had a horrible life at certain times. And the, the game I love most was not only taken away from me, but painful to play, which is a really weird place to be in mentally where you hate playing, but you love playing. And right. A lot of this was genetic. Cause to be honest, let me knock on wood. I never, I did have an ACL injury, but I never really had, there was maybe like a point for like three months when I was like 18 or something, but I never really had the, as much as I played, I never really had the knee pain issues. So that's a lot really of it, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And, and, and everyone's different, but it's scary, man. How many are having knee pain? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, lower back pain and knee pain that, that, oh. transcends, that transcends basketball. That's everybody. I yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. And, but, and it's kind of, and that's the thing, it's kind of sports in general of like, you know, coaches are entrusted from a young age to be the strength and conditioning people. And it's not their fault. You know what I mean? Like your high school coach who maybe has no assistance and in terms of strength and conditioning, and he's just running your ass to make you tough. You know what I mean? And so there's just that, that's just like the whole way the system is. People don't know any better. There's, there's ways you can even make simple things like having your players race each other backwards. They'll be burning a lot. Well, actually like, reversing out the flow on their knee pain and getting stronger to protect themselves and, you know, improving for things like defense, you know? So most players like can't even really, most players start losing their, their quad strength because it's only forward sprinting. They're not doing anything, you know, backwards. Um, yeah. So that's. Is that a nice. concern for you during the season? Some of the players lose everything that you gain with them. Exactly. And that's why, yeah. like, I'm not just trying to be a trainer. I'm actually trying to like, get things to change from the ground up to get players from the time you are young to learn how to, you know, to learn how to jump off either leg and things of yeah. that nature. Yeah. All right. I see Mike Dunn uh, dunking. I see 
Foamy's getting in shape. I might need a program, man. We might need to make that happen. I can 100% guarantee that when we finish this podcast, I'll set you up as a lifetime member for free. My guy, man. Appreciate that 100%. You're always welcome back on the show. This was a great conversation. Can you let Combo Nation know where we could find you? Best place for sure would be my Instagram because I'm on there all the time. I answer all my DMs. It's at knees over toes guy. And I, I, you know, this is my full-time job. So it's not like I'm giving away everything for free, but I do try to put quite a bit of actual, like, like, it's not like you're just going to see theoretical charts and stuff. Like you're going to see a lot of stuff you could actually start implementing. Um, and then for people who want to try it, I'll give you a, a code for your members so they can basically my portion of the, of our online coaching is 30%. That's how much I take out. So I came up with a code where basically I can, I can give your guys $15 off of our, uh, you know, off of our $50 a month online coaching for the first month to at least make it a little easier on their wallet if they want to try it out. And there is no long-term contract. It's month to month. So they could even, you know, they're welcome to do a month and, and learn and see where they want to go from there. Yeah, we could put a link into the in the description if you just send me that. And I will. And it was great talking to you. You're always welcome back on the show. Awesome. Love it, man. I'm looking forward to working with you. There it is. Episode 97 is in the books. Big shouts to Ben, a.k.a. Knees Over Toes Guy, for joining in. Now, Combo Nation, check this out. Ben blessed us with a code that'll give you $15 off the first month with ATG Online Coaching. That's right. Put in the code ATG15 for $15 off your first month with ATG Online Trading. I'll put the link in the description. And also, man, Combo Nation, take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your stories, tag me, I'll repost it, and let me know how you feel about this episode right on the comment section of your Apple Podcast app or leave a review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Be on the lookout for episode 98. Combo out.